Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. My name is Angelina Karyakina. I'm a journalist and editor from Ukraine, and I recommend the Visegrad Inside. Have fun and listen to the podcast. You just heard from our Ukraine expert, uh, Angelina Karankina, who will talk about later uh, about developments in Ukraine. Uh, Bevojcik, uh, nice to see you here in our uh, small online studio. And uh, maybe let's take a moment to, to discuss a bit what has been happening in Central European politics last couple of days, uh, week. Um, things are moving again in Poland concerning the uh, ombudsperson, Adam Botnar. Uh, what have you picked up there? Yeah, indeed, Quincy. Good to see you as well. Uh, and uh, apologies to all our listeners for the quality of the audio. We are now not in the studio in, uh, in our office, but again, because of the um, situation with pandemic, hopefully uh, we'll be over or at least will the situation will be less severe in a couple of days and weeks. So we will be back in front of our uh, proper Mac, uh, mic <laughs> in, 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 in the office. Um, but uh, in the meantime, yes, uh, we're observing a lot of developments in uh, Central Europe. Um, in, in Poland, uh, there, there are many things happening this week. We featured a lot of them in our weekly outlook. But uh, what I wanted to particularly focus on is, uh, on one hand, the unresolved up until today, and maybe we will see, we're recording this podcast on the 13th of April, Tuesday, that might, might be an unlucky number for the ruling coalition, as it is planning to, uh, to, to, tr to try to have a vote in the parliament about the, 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 the plan of uh, EU funds, uh, recovery funds, uh, the, the Polish deal on how, to be, how these funds would be dis uh, distributed. And so far, the government has only signaled that it doesn't have majority uh, because of the split within the ruling coalition uh, over the rule of law procedure and because of uh, um, opposition, uh, which uh, demands from the government uh, that uh, it guarantees that the local governments across Poland will not be discriminated if they are not coming from the government line. So this is a very tense situation, and we've heard also a lot from Jarosław Kaczynski that he is willing and he is threatening uh, his coalition partners with new elections, and they seem not to be very worried about that, that they still uh, keep on track of on the, on, on the conflict line over this issue in, uh, in the coalition. And uh, on the other hand, um, we, uh, we see other developments taking place. Um, uh, I should mention now that I'm changing the tracks, so kind of changing the page of the, uh, of the assessment of democratic security in Poland with the activity of the Polish ombudsman. As we speak today, uh, he is uh, for the second day already um, at a hearing in front of the Constitutional Tribunal that um, as demanded, as requested by the government uh, MPs, is reviewing the case whether after exactly five years from assuming office, he should be dismissed and empty the, um, the office of the ombudsman, despite no replacement uh, being, um, uh, being found yet and uh, being voted through both chambers of the, of the parliament. Same uh, where the majority is held by the government, uh, has already uh, 
few times tried at electing uh, a new ombudsman. And then Senate, it, which is essential in confirmation process, uh, so far is rejection, rejecting uh, political nominees from the side of the government. We have a stillmate here. And if the Constitutional Tribunal rules on, on, the, uh, on the lack of possibility of the Polish ombudsman to carry out duties, as the law also says, until he's replaced by someone uh, new, and rather should stick to the rule of exactly five years um, term uh, to, the, to the date, you know, to, on, on the calendar dates rather than on the practicality of, being, uh, of, of, the, of the post being filled in by someone else, then we will live in a situation when the Polish people are not represented by, um, uh, by the ombudsman uh, in, in, in many of the uh, civil court cases, administrative cases, and important issues uh, that concern democracy, freedoms, civil liberties uh, in Poland. So this is a very serious situation. Um, and maybe last point to add to that is that uh, nevertheless, uh, while ombudsman position is being threatened so much um, because of uh, political tensions and because of this particular situation, particular development uh, in the case of uh, Mr. Adam Bodnar potentially leaving, very soon, there is another um, development where he is involved. Uh, in front of the court, uh, he represented the case um, that, uh, that was sustained by the court. And the court decision says, as of yesterday, that the takeover of the Polish uh, regional titles publisher, Polska Presse, by the public company, government-controlled PKN Orlen, otherwise oil company, uh, oil and petroleum co company in Poland, uh, is to be suspended. The PKN Orlen, as of yesterday, has no rights to execute its ownership uh, privileges and to make any changes in the board, although some changes were made already. Uh, and that is by request. Uh, the, the review has been by request of the, of the Polish ombudsman. So uh, you see also the political dimensions in the back uh, um, and, the, and the really important struggle uh, in the back of, um, of the decision by the Constitutional Tribunal that we will see um, uh, in the days to come. Yes, and I'm sure that's also something that our Visegrad Insight fellow Jaros Gwizdak will follow closely and uh, might be reporting on this also in the nearby future. Um, let's take a look at another country, uh, Czechia. Uh, where there's also been a little bit of, uh, well, instability maybe related to a um, foreign minister that uh, has been fired, if I understand well. Uh, Wojciech, what is, what is the background story there? We have seen, uh, we have only seen in uh, Czechia overnight from Sunday to Monday, uh, Mr. Tomas uh, Petřiček, uh, foreign minister, uh, nominated on behalf of the Social Democrats co Junior Coalition partner to be sacked. Uh, Mr. Petřiček uh, was running, was a challenger uh, to, uh, to the chairman of the party and he lost the bid. Uh, therefore, it was quite natural for him to go. But there is a context of a strategic choice uh, for, the, for the Czech uh, government and the struggle 
um, with the Russian tender on, on the nuclear deal. Um, Mr. Zeman, president of, of the Republic, um, holding a firm grip on his pro-Russian agenda, uh, was very happy to see Mr. Petrichek go. Mr. Petrichek, on the other hand, was a very strong critic of Mr. Zeman's uh, foreign policy. Those two offices, MFA and the president's office, often uh, being in conflict with one another about the direction, the strategic direction of, the, uh, of Czechia. And now we see that uh, in symbolic terms, it, uh, it is now clearly manifested that uh, Mr. Zeman is again on top of things and uh, he holds the cards uh, that slowly, but hopefully not decisively, are pushing Czechia uh, to embrace uh, more of the, uh, the pro-Russian narratives of the decisions that will implicate uh, Czechia more with, um, with the strategies devised by Kremlin, including the nuclear power plant uh, that we, we uh, mentioned. Interesting to add maybe is that the search for a new foreign minister is ongoing, but um, it seems um, that one possible candidate minister of culture is, is not very keen on taking the job also, among others, because of this difficult position um, vis-a-vis uh, President Zeman and as you point out a lot of the a lot of the issues which are which are on the agenda whether, whether it's Russia or China I mean it's not that distant future uh, past at least that we were also talking about uh, the dispute concerning uh, Taiwan a lot of this which has also been uh, written about by our fellow um, Albin Sibera. Yes, indeed. And uh, any, uh, what other news have you picked up, uh, Quincy, editing our uh, stuff for this week, our uh, publications for this week? Well, an interesting story that caught my attention uh, today, at least uh, in, in the Slovak press, um, uh, concerns also the, the whole discussion about uh, Sputnik uh, vaccine. Um, as we talked about it a couple of weeks ago already on the podcast, uh, this was essentially one of the, the catalysts or the causes also for the breakdown of, of um, the coalition and at least uh, the, the resignation of, of Matovic. But it's also interesting to see how it is now also spinning across borders and uh, um, how, how Sputnik is also an issue that is in, um, emerging, of course, in, in Hungary. And the uh, Slovak press is, is talking about um, the contract between Hungary and Russia concerning the Sputnik vaccine, how it's easily uh, wide washes Russia from any responsibility concerning the vaccine and how all of the um, the cost and also uh, responsibility essentially falls on the Hungarians. Um, so interesting story. Uh, it's going to be interesting also to see what are going to be potential repercussions. As we've seen, um, Sputnik is very much a, a hotly contested controversial issue, uh, despite the fact that several governments are now considering it or in negotiations. Um, yes, and I think, I mean, apart from that, um, one of the bigger topics I think we can we can still talk about is, as we will talk about also in the second half of this podcast, is Ukraine. And uh, it seems a lot of things are there coming together. Um, fears over the continued uh, aggression of Russia just across the border uh, and also in eastern Ukraine. Uh, but then, of course, also what you can read in our weekly outlook is, is Nord Stream 2 is still also very much on the table, a hot issue between the US and Russia. 
Um, and and then also the the role played by by Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, for which I very much recommend also our colleague uh, Tatiana Poliak's uh, article from from last week, which gives a very good overview from the presidency. And I also recommend this article very much, as this gives a very good overview um, of the situation in in Ukraine that we discuss later on with our special guest for the second part of the podcast. Uh, So stay with us and we'll be back shortly after the break. Subscribe to Visegrad Insight for weekly outlooks, monthly foresights and plenty of opinion and analysis. You can now make use of a special discount code, one month free, if you want to have the first month of subscription for free. Check our website visegradinsight.eu for more information. Does President Zelensky uh, has enough of political capital uh, in Ukraine to conduct any further reforms uh, until the end of his term? And how the situation with COVID has affected that? So uh, Ukraine uh, is, is not an exception in the list of the rest of the countries that is dealing with COVID and with the pandemic. Uh, just for you to give some, some numbers to understand uh, uh, in which uh, context we are living right now before I jump into Zelensky's ratings and support. So um, we have only 380,000 people vaccinated in Ukraine. You know, it's a, it's a huge country, one of the biggest European countries with a population over 40 million people, and only 380,000 people vaccinated. Only five of them has got by now both jabs. We are talking about AstraZeneca, um, we are expecting, you know, the Sinovac coming and other vaccines coming in the coming weeks, but still it's quite a, s- a small number and there's a lot of resentment in how Ukraine is dealing with the vaccination and generally pandemic uh, in, in Ukraine. Zelensky is still leading the ratings. Uh, his support is around 24%. Uh, it's slightly high, higher than it used to be in February, but compared to over 70% in 2019, of course, we can say that it's quite uh, quite a, a low number. Um, the, the, the trio, the, the classical trio of these leaders of the ratings, uh, so after Zelensky, Poroshenko is coming, and then Timoshenko and Yuri Boyko. So it's, you know, it's still... This, uh, this um, company of Ukrainian traditional leaders, the situation doesn't, doesn't uh, seem to be changing uh, very much. Um, but Zelensky is still quite a popular leader, quite a popular president um, uh, in, in, in the whole country. Uh, uh, it is very much, his ratings, uh, of course, uh, very much depend on how the government is dealing with pandemic uh, and with uh, vaccination. But um, uh, question number two, or maybe one, it's really hard to say these days in Ukraine on the agenda is the Russian aggression and the deterioration of the situation in the east on the front line. Um, there are, you know, constant provocations by Russia and statements that Russia is getting ready to, as they say, quote, quote unquote, defend the, the, the people of Donbass and so on and so forth. So, um, there's a lot of concern whether, um, uh, uh, um, whether a military operation on a higher scale is, uh, is an option. 
today in Ukraine. While the government, you know, the the high-ranking military and Zelensky himself uh, are saying that um, it's just another power game by Russia, that Russia is checking, you know, the whole world's nerves. Still, of course, it's very much concerning for the people and across the whole country, because it's not only people in the East, it's also people who are thinking whether their sons and husbands will be mobilized, you know, whether the whether some, some, something terrible is coming again. And uh, there are uh, enough reasons to think that the situation is already very, very uh, hard and bad because um, since, um, since ceasefire in, in July, I'm, I'm just going to give you some numbers just to compare the situation uh, in July, January last year and you know this spring. So since ceasefire uh, last July until January this year, we had around 5,000 um, ceasefire violations and four people killed, four military killed at the front line. But since March, so it's not even full two months, um, we have over 13 people killed. So the news about killed soldiers are arriving almost each day. And only on the 2nd of April, just giving you, I'm just giving you some numbers on one particular day, we had over 2,000 ceasefire violations. So it's really, really, uh, you know, it's a really, really tense situation on the front line with fire, uh, uh, with shellings and, 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 and fire and snipers fire uh, running uh, each day and with people being killed almost each day. Um, of course, um, the way that Zelensky is handling this situation, you know, is also a very important factor in terms of his support, in terms of his rating and, uh, and popularity. Um, there was some, you know, criticism from the opposition that at the heat of the tension, uh, Zelensky decided to go and visit Qatar. He didn't cancel his, um, um, his visit. But when the second visit arrived, visit to Turkey, um, it wasn't actually, it, it wasn't criticized neither by the opposition, not, you know, by the general uh, public. It was, a, it was an obvious political necessity, you know, to get support uh, from Turkey, uh, political support, and also military and technical support. You know, Turkey is one of the biggest uh, partners with Ukraine in terms of uh, military and technical uh, partnership. So um, the, 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 the country is watching the international reaction uh, towards uh, the latest, you know, Russian uh, provocations on the border. Uh, we have seen probably unprecedented communication between Ukraine and the US for the past uh, two weeks or so. Uh, but, um, so there were phone calls between the, 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 the secretary, between the office and, and the state department, between the both ministry of defense, ministries of defense of the both countries. We also had finally, um, the phone call between Biden and Zelensky. But we understand that if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Russian, um, aggression at the border, we're not sure if that call would, would take place. Let's unpack it. And uh, we'll come back to this very important question of the military mm -hmm. tension or, or, the, or the threat on the borders, including Donbass. But before that, 
let me still ask you a general question, but an important sociological question on uh, how Ukrainians feel uh, that which direction Ukraine is heading to. Um, what is the sense among the society of you know stagnation, deterioration of the situation overall, including economy, including healthcare, um, or they see some even selective improvement, perhaps um, in um, in the in the recent uh, years. Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, the the recent polls from um, I think they were from January are stating that over seventy percent of Ukrainians feel that Ukraine is heading the wrong way. Uh, I'm not going to go um, into details. You know what exactly. Uh, people think the right way is. Uh, but of course, we, we understand that uh, in the context of pandemic and, and the constant uh, military threat, uh, people are, you know, people are feeling vulnerable. They feel the constant threat. And this threat, you know, is coming from the major uh, vital spheres. It's economy, uh, it's security, uh, and of course, it's, um, um, it's, integration into you know the western world european world with the global lockdown uh people lost this ability to travel more um you know to go out and uh, and work as well um in the european union or other european countries so of course i mean i'm, I'm not a sociologist i cannot uh unpack this um, th this figure of over 70 percent but it, it gives a sense of general you know depression and resentment towards towards the the, the situation we're in um, of course there's a lot of resentment in terms of um, the way the government is dealing with the pandemic. People don't really understand how the lockdown should work while well, you have the biggest and the richest ski resort open through the whole pandemic. And, you know, smaller markets where people generally earn money close down. Um, concert halls, restaurants, cafes. Ukraine is a country of small business. Everything that is closed down, of course, it's a hard. Uh, it's um, uh, it's 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 really hard to to get around uh, in this um, situation. But seeing that the rest of the business, uh, the, the 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 richer people, the richer business, isn't hit so hard, you know, is kind of uh, is is kind of uh, enforcing this uh, feeling of you know, un unfairness of, of, of the situation. Uh, and the way the lockdown uh, in Ukraine uh, was imposed and is imposed right now is also not really clear to, to, to people. They don't trust the statistics that are coming from different regions. For example, they, uh, many Ukrainians don't understand why some regions are closed down and other regions are not closed down. In, in some regions, you know, some restaurants and some businesses are open the rest of them are, are closed. Sometimes it's the decision of the local authorities or, you know, the, the outcome of the corruption or something else. So people don't really see, you know, this clear logic that if you have the most dramatic numbers of infected people, which is the, the reality, the current reality for Ukraine, over 10,000 or over 11,000 infected people each day, of course, it's a matter of a national lockdown. And why it wasn't imposed, 
it's 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 a question for people. Many small entrepreneurs and businessmen are asking the government, okay, if you wanna impose the lockdown, just do a clear lockdown, and we will understand that we are all in the same position. But you are not doing this, and it seems very unfair, and it seems very, you know, political. But at the same time, uh, the opinion. Uh, of Ukrainians about the situation in Donbass, the war uh, in Donbass, and the the of the strategic options for Ukraine has remained unchanged. Uh, I believe, right? This is something that remains constant over the time. Which is, uh, I mean, it's a war situation. It would be hard to expect anything else. And um, I'm I'm thinking about them. I'm touching this. Uh, coming back to the earlier, um, to the things you mentioned earlier, to the developments about um, the tensions on the border with Russia, and statements from uh, Erdogan, President uh, President uh, Biden's uh, support for Ukraine. We also heard uh, UK's. Uh, uh, UK's commitment to conduct con- uh, common trainings with. Uh, British troops uh, involved, um, also in the in the defensive te- exercises in in Ukraine. So I'm wondering, um, looking at those developments, how is how how the debate about the strategic options of Ukraine is developing, and how much of these declarations are making a difference? I'm not going to give you fresh numbers in terms of you know uh, support towards NATO. Uh... Uh, and European integration. I just uh, can firmly give you the fact that the majority of Ukrainians still consider Russia as the biggest threat. Uh, and it um, it, it uh, doesn't depend on the part of the country uh, or the language or the language that people are uh, speaking. So the majority of Ukrainians still consider Russia as the biggest threat. It's the reality that we are living in. Um, the, the the rhetoric that came from from Zelensky's office and something uh, fresh, I would say that we that we are seeing uh, in, in in the last uh, few weeks is that um, with some diplomatic efforts, uh, Zelensky is trying to reactivate a NATO membership action plan. So uh, it's again on the agenda, uh, you know, uh, Zelensky's uh, reaction uh, to the statement by, uh, by, the, by Mr. Kozak from Putin's administration, who said that Russia is ready to, uh, so to say, um, defend uh, people in Donbass, is that the only way to stop the war in Donbass is becoming a NATO, NATO member. That was the uh, the statement by, made by Zelensky, uh, and uh, you know the 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 rest of the activities, diplomatic, you know, and uh, and on a state level that we're following seem to be that the office is working in that direction. Again, we're not talking being <laughs> realistic. We're not talking about NATO membership, but reactivating talks about a membership action plan. Uh, plan is. Um, uh, is on the table, and it was also a matter of the um, of the uh, negotiations with Erdogan in, in in Turkey. From from what we understand, um, this uh, statement that Ukraine wants not only NATO support, but that Ukraine wants aspires, you know, to be NATO member, is w- was also uh, stated during the phone call with uh, Biden. 
by Zelensky. And it is believed, uh, Biden is believed to say something that uh, you should act on reforms in order to make your dreams come true. So um, the the position of, of the NATO and the US uh, hasn't changed so far. Ukraine should deliver on reforms. And there's a still still a very, very long list uh, to do for Ukraine, a very long list of homework. Uh, one of them is actually deoligarchization, a very complicated and long word. We have uh, five, around five oligarchs in the country, um, you know, and, and uh, Zelensky seems to be doing some steps uh, in order to, you know, pers- persuade the Western partners that Ukraine is moving in that direction. You know that uh, U.S. imposed sanctions against Mr. Kolomoisky, and uh, Ukraine probably was expected to do uh, something in return as well, to do something about that as well. Nothing was done again against uh, Kolomoisky personally, but there were, I think it's currently more than five criminal cases against Previous owners of Privat Bank, owned, you know, previously by by uh, Kolomoisky, um, that were opened in Ukraine and uh, and in progress. Um, the the step that was supported both by the Western partners and in Ukraine inside by the Ukrainians were, were sanctions against Medvedchuk, the biggest ally and the closest person of Putin in Ukraine. Um, uh, so uh, he's. Um, uh, media channels uh, or media channels, uh, channels that were, um, you know, connected with him were closed down and prohibited. Uh, his um, actives uh, and his companies were also frozen uh, in Ukraine. But um, another discussion came uh, with this ruling, even even though more than fifty eight percent of Ukrainians supported the step against Medvedchuk. Mm, it seems to be that um, the instrument that was um, used against Medvedchuk, and that is the National Security Council of Ukraine. So it wasn't the court, it wasn't the prosecutor's office or something like that. It was exactly the the um, Security Council that is uh, led by the president, uh, became, you know, sort of an instrument in other uh, decisions. So every Friday, almost every Friday, we have a sitting of the uh, National Security Council with some list of new sanctions arriving. So Ukrainians are sort of, uh, sort of um, following uh, a series, you know, on each Friday, uh, trying to guess uh, against whom, you know, this time sanctions will be imposed. I mean, I'm smiling, but it's not so funny because um, another question rises and some criticism arrives, uh, of course, um, against this mechanism. Isn't uh, isn't this way of um, imposing sanctions or fighting something uh, like Russian propaganda or uh, or corruption or something else undermining other Ukrainian institutions which still need to be reformed, like the judicial reform, you know, the the the, the prosecutor's office, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, this uh, discussion is is in place. Uh, there is it, there is no you know. Uh, 
there is no uh, easy answer to this question, uh, but we uh, still feel both outside and inside Ukraine that not enough is being done uh, in terms of reforms. There's a high, not even a demand, but request to do the judicial reform, and it's still going very slow and politically hard, even though Zelensky has you know, the majority in the parliament, the government is totally under his, uh, almost totally under his control. Uh, we know and we see that the prime minister is absolute 100% his man. So he has all the power uh, still um, to, to do lots of things. And the question is why they are not taking place. Subscribe to Visegrad Insight for weekly outlooks, monthly foresights and plenty of opinion and analysis. You can now make use of a special discount code, one month free, if you want to have the first month of subscription for free. Check our website, visegradinsight.eu, for more information.